Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna in the second century, and it is said that Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. Escaping arrest for a while, uh, Polycarp was eventually tracked down and ordered to curse Christ, but replied, quote, 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That got him the death sentence. They built a wood pile, which the elderly Polycarp ascended. And when they went to nail him on the stake uh, to, um, to keep him there, uh, this is what he instructed them. Leave me as I am, for the one who gives me strength to endure the fire will also give me strength to remain at the stake unmoved without being secured by nails. Polycarp's hands were bound behind him. He offered a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God. The wood was lit. And when the flames eventually failed to take him, an executioner pierced Polycarp with a dagger. Is that a happy ever after ending? Salah is a pastor in Algeria. It was Tuesday night several weeks ago. And Salah was explaining to his congregation that authorities would close the church the next day. However, at the end of the service, police burst in, forcibly removed people, beat people with batons and fists, and sealed up the church. And Pastor Salah said, after we refused to go out of the worship room, they started beating us. When we saw them using violence against brothers and sisters here at the church, we didn't want to go forward with our resistance, so we agreed to go outside the worship room. In the end, they sealed the main door that gets to the worship room. Understandably, Salah felt injustice, anger, and disappointment, and believes that they were targeted because their congregation is mostly made up of Christians who converted from Islam. The week after... Salah was comforted by Matthew 5, verse 11. And Salah said of Matthew 5, verse 11, even before last week, it was the passage of Scripture that was encouraging me all the time. You probably haven't ever been beaten because you love Jesus. You probably haven't ever been forcibly removed from your church. I certainly haven't, but maybe... You've been ridiculed, bullied, disregarded, snubbed, belittled, or treated like a mutant because you follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we probably won't be beaten or burned at the stake for living out our Christian faith in America, at least not in the near future. But if we're faithful, mocking, marginalization, or mistreatment in some way on account of Jesus and our lifestyle of righteousness, it will come in some way. Is it possible to live a faithful Christian life without any persecution whatsoever? Well, I think that's a good question worth thinking about. Think about a high school football player explaining his virginity and the consequences of misusing God's beautiful gift of sex to his teammates in the locker room. Think about a bio major explaining her six-day creation view and the absurdity of macroevolution in a secular university science classroom. Think about maybe you being put on the spot at a family reunion in front of your lesbian relative and her partner and giving a faithful answer to what God thinks about LGBTQIA issues. There are times in our lives when faithfulness to God and His Word will bring persecution. 
perhaps mild, but persecution nonetheless. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to being truly happy. And we must consider that cost carefully. But lest we become overwhelmed and lose heart at the cost, we should consider the rewards of righteousness. The motivation for righteousness amidst persecution is the rewards of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, for your reward is great in heaven. I wonder if we really believe Jesus when he tells us, blessed or highly favored by God are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil uh, against you falsely on my account. Do we really believe that? I wonder if we really believe it's possible to rejoice and be glad when we are mocked, marginalized, and mistreated because we follow Jesus. My desire is that the Holy Spirit uses these verses today to comfort and encourage you that God loves and cares for you as you endure persecution for the sake of his son to embolden you to live out your Christian faith winsomely in public with no shame, to reduce your fear of being mocked, marginalized, and mistreated because of Christ, to make your heart glad, even overjoyed when you experience persecution because of Christ, and to rouse your excitement and hope for the unfathomable reward that, that awaits you in heaven. My dear brothers and sisters, Oh, that we would believe these verses together and be heartened by them. We need these verses in order to be faithful to God, in order to be happy in God. So we need God to graciously and tenderly transform our perspective on persecution and its inseparable connection to true happiness in Christ. My outline today is simple. Righteousness invites persecution includes blessing and incites gladness. Righteousness invites persecution, includes blessing, and incites gladness. First, righteousness invites persecution. First, let's zero in on righteousness. In verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, which includes hungering and thirsting for a righteousness they don't have. Because they are poor in spirit and they mourn their own sin and guilt. So righteousness begins with hungering and thirsting for and receiving by faith the righteousness of Christ. Christ alone is righteous and Christ alone is right with God under the law. Outside of Christ, no one is righteous. So then... It is the spiritually impoverished people who receive the righteousness of Christ by faith who then want to live a righteous life because they have received the righteousness of Christ by grace alone, through faith alone. They also hunger and thirst to live righteous lives in solidarity with Christ. So when I say righteousness invites persecution, I'm talking about people who have received the righteousness of Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, are justified before God in Christ alone and who desire to live righteously for the glory of their king. That's who I'm talking about. That's who I think Jesus was talking about. Jesus said, 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake links back to all the other Beatitudes. One study Bible noted, Jesus makes clear that the lives of his disciples will inevitably invite insult and mistreatment because of the distinctive qualities highlighted in previous verses. We've been studying this for a while. James Boyce interpreted Jesus like this. Blessed are they who are persecuted because, by God's grace, they are determined to live as I live. Boyce said, this means that there is no promise of happiness for those who are persecuted for being a nuisance. For Christians who have shown themselves to be objectionable, difficult, foolish, and insulting to their non-Christian friends. Boyce is right. And he added, simply put, it means to be persecuted for being like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said that those who are persecuted for being like him will be happy. So persecution then is not being treated badly because of political or social activism or being discriminated against because of the color of your skin or your sex or economic or educational status or even being criticized for being a jerk amidst doing the right thing. That's not persecution. Persecution's not even about doing the right thing in a general sense and being treated badly for it. For example, one young woman wrote this. I am an atheist, a 29-year-old woman, well-educated at secular institutions, And I lean liberal on many issues, including same-sex marriage and climate change. I am also a dedicated pro-life activist working to make abortion unthinkable. Now, if she is mocked, marginalized, or mistreated because of her pro-life activism, though her maltreatment is evil and wrong, it would not meet the criteria of persecution as Jesus defined it in the Beatitudes. Jesus said, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and on my account. His definition is confined to those who know, love, and live for him and suffer for it. Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, minorities, and the like are not persecuted in this sense because their affliction and suffering, which is wicked, is not for righteousness' sake, on account of Jesus Christ. Persecution is being hunted or harassed or harmed in some way on account of righteousness for the sake of Jesus Christ. So only God's chosen people, the church, can suffer the kind of persecution Jesus is referring to in the Beatitudes. Connect all of the dots of the Beatitudes The persecuted people whom Jesus refers to in verses 10 through 12 are his true disciples, those described in all the other Beatitudes. So when you're poor in spirit and you mourn your own sin and the sin of others, when when you're meek and humble and lowly and when you're hungry and when you're thirsty for righteousness, when you're merciful and when you're pure in heart and you're, you're living your life striving to be a peacemaker, your life of righteousness Saints will invite persecution on account of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints, you don't need to go hunting for persecution or pray that you would be persecuted more. 
don't know that that's a good prayer, but, but if you're the kind of person the Beatitudes describe and you're faithful to live for Christ, persecution will come to you. If we have any doubt that that's true, that righteousness invites persecution, we need only to carefully consider the life of Jesus Christ. He he is entirely righteous. He is entirely without sin. And when he was on earth, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In his time on earth, Jesus was loving and kind and compassionate, and truthful, and wise, and helpful, and righteous, yet they hated him, tried to stone him, drove him out of town to throw him off a cliff, lied about him, ridiculed him, rejected him, and eventually they gave him an unjust trial, flogged him, and pinned him to a cross. Jesus is the perfect example of righteousness inviting persecution. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He knows that truth better than anyone else. He knows it. He lived it. Jesus personalized his message for his disciples. We see a little turn here. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. His sermon was about them. He prepared them for the insults, abuse, for the harassment, for the lies, for the pain. He prepared them so that they would be ready and they'd stay the course and that they would endure unto eternal blessing. He taught them that their persecution and pain would be worth it. Friends, I have an aversion to pain and persecution. I don't like pain. I don't like persecution either. I like to be accepted and loved and approved of and and comfortable. That's what I like. Folks, I fear rejection. One of my deepest sinful struggles is the fear of man. I'm learning how to work through that. It's it's really hard for me. Seeking the approval of man. And one of my sinful delusions is that, that maybe I can get everyone to like me. I'd like to think that that I'm the exception to that rule. That's absurd. Because the one I want to imitate most is the one who was crucified for righteousness' sake. When I am preoccupied with man's approval, I'm not being, as Paul says, a faithful servant of Christ. I'm distracted, I'm fragile, I'm easily offended, I'm weak, I'm compromising, I'm duplicitous, I'm uncertain, I'm insecure, and I am much, much, much less effective for Christ. What if we really believe that we are favored by God if we are persecuted for Christ? How easily it is for us, brothers and sisters, to forget that Jesus Christ, the Lord, told his disciples, behold, I am sending you out as sheep amidst wolves, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, I don't know about your 
your experience, but when sheep hang out with wolves, it ends up with bloody sheep. Jesus told his disciples, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Was he unclear? Jesus encouraged I'm using the right word there, encouraged and heartened his disciples by telling them this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Do you realize that being hated by the world and persecuted is assurance that you belong to Christ and that he chose you? Saints, persecution is one mark of the faithful of God's people. Has living in America with the tremendous blessing of religious freedom closed our ears and hearts to the plain teaching of Jesus on persecution? Do we think that as American Christians, we are exempt from persecution above it for some reason? God forbid that our freedoms and comforts weaken and subdue our righteousness and boldness in living for Christ. The Apostle John encouraged Christians with these words, do not be surprised, brothers. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. It's like he's saying, expect it. That's normal if they do. Something's wrong if they love you. And right before those words, John asked why Cain killed Abel. He answered, because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do you understand how Cain and Abel connect to the Beatitudes? If you are faithful to live for Christ, to live in righteousness, people will hate you, they will oppose you, and they will persecute you. Why? Pay careful attention. Because they are living wicked and evil lives for their own glory and pleasure, and you are living righteous and godly lives for the glory and pleasure of God. And that, dear saints, makes unbelievers feel dirty and guilty and shameful, and they don't like feeling that way, so what do they do? They come after you. All you're trying to do is live for Christ, but Christ is who they hate, and so they hate you when you try to live righteously, when you try to do the good thing, when you try to love others, when you try to emulate and imitate Christ. They hate you. This should not surprise us, brothers and sisters. John Calvin, he aptly stated, we cannot be Christ's soldiers on any other condition than to have the greater part of the world rising in hostility against us and pursuing us even to death. Brothers and sisters, do do you think that ISIS would hesitate at all to kill you if they had the chance? Calvin continued, above all, it is, as we may say, the ordinary 
lot of Christians to be hated by the majority of men, for the flesh cannot endure the doctrine of the gospel. None can endure to have their vices reproved. Saints, righteousness invites persecution. Why then would anyone want to live a righteous life? Man alive, it's hard. Why? Why would you want to do something like that? It better be a hefty reward. Now, if I ask you to jackhammer my driveway and to remove all the debris and then to lay a new brick driveway piece by piece by hand by yourself, and and then I'd give you 20 bucks, I don't think you're going to do that. I just don't think you're going to spend the time. $20 is not a blessing matched with the difficulty of the work. You're just not going to do it. But if I promised to give you $20 billion, okay, you'd gladly endure the difficulty even if it took you 10 years or more to finish. No one will live a life of righteousness, especially when it invites persecution unless there was an incredible reward for righteousness. Secondly, righteousness includes blessing. It includes blessing. I want you to think deeply here. How is it that persecution could be a blessing? It seems like persecution would be a curse. Like God's mad at you somehow. That you've done something wrong, not a blessing. It would be easy to interpret persecution as God's disfavor, but Jesus says persecution is God's favor. Now, how can that be? And here's the answer. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the answer. Just like the first beatitude, the the blessing in being persecuted for righteousness' sake on account of Jesus Christ is identifying with Christ in his persecution and knowing that the kingdom of heaven is yours. That's the blessing. When the persecuted suffer for Christ, it confirms that they belong to Christ, that Christ bought them with his precious blood. Paul said this in Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Saints, We are children of God, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer persecution for righteousness' sake on account of Jesus Christ. The $20 billion, so to speak, is being glorified in the kingdom of heaven as co-heirs with Christ. One source said joy is possible in the pain of persecution by trusting that all earthly loss will be more than repaid with eternal blessings. In other words, dear saints, the blessing is worth the persecution. The blessing is worth the persecution. We, we might, in conversation with our friends, we might tell our friends that we are so blessed when we get engaged or we are so blessed when we get married or we have a kid or we, or we have some great increase in our pay or we have such great health and we're able to do all those things. And all those things are, are great blessings from God. 
But how often do we say we're blessed after someone really lays into us and ridicules us or defriends us or spreads lies about us because we are living righteously for the glory of Christ? I wonder if we've considered how powerfully persecution assures us of our oneness with Christ, that that is cause for celebration. Ask yourself this, if someone follows Jesus when it's easy, is there any other place on planet Earth that it is more easy to follow Jesus than America? I'm not sure I know of any. Still a supernatural work, but I think you know what I mean. If we follow Jesus when it's easy, but we abandon him when it gets hard, what assurance would we have that the kingdom of heaven belongs to us when we're abandoning him? Persecution works for our good. It assures us. It comforts us. It gives us confidence in what our Savior has done for us. Now, do you remember the rocky ground that Jesus talked about? This is so fitting for us. Jesus said this, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. If we stop there, that's a great thing. But he doesn't stop there. He then says, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Friends, that's a picture of someone who perishes in hell. They hear the gospel And they joyfully receive it. They follow Jesus for a while. But when persecution hits, when it gets hard because of Jesus, they abandon Jesus and they prove that they never had roots, never truly knew Christ, never truly loved Christ, never truly served Christ, and they perish in their sins. It is those who are mocked, those who are marginalized, those who are mistreated on account of Christ and who remain true by his grace, by his spirit, who are assured and comforted that they truly belong to Christ. Our perseverance in persecution confirms that our God is upholding us to one day receive what is ours in Christ. James Boyce mentioned two ways that persecution leads to happiness. It would help us to consider these things. They're simple. Number one, persecution is evidence that the believer is united to Jesus Christ. Evidence of that union and oneness with our Savior. Secondly, we can be certain that the Holy Spirit has been at work in our hearts, turning us from our sin and our sinful ways to Christ's way and is making progress in molding us into his sinless image. What a gift. And 1 Peter 4.14 confirms Boyce's second point. It says this, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because... The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The spirit of glory of God rests upon you. As painful and as uninvited as persecution is, it is God's kindness to confirm for us that we belong to Christ. And in that assurance, we're happy, content, joyful, simply to belong to him. Now, just so we don't understand... Very important we get this point. The rewards we get for being persecuted are not earned. Reward takes your mind to earning it. You you, you can't do it. It's not earned. They are received by us as gifts of grace. That's very important. Heidelberg Catechism 63 asks this. But do our good works earn nothing? 
even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? And it answers, this reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. A gift of grace. It's exactly as Luke 17, 10 says it is. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We're unworthy of it. We have it because you give it. The late Dr. Leon Morris, he said this, this does not mean that the pious have merited a heavenly reward. For the reward is so far beyond anything which men could possibly attain by their own goodness that the very word reward has something of irony about it. It is rather that God's goodness overflows toward the persecuted. Our eternal reward for suffering persecution is an overflow of God's goodness and grace towards us. Dr. Daniel Doriani agrees. He explains He does not say that we gain a reward because we suffer. Rather, he says that our reward is great. The term reward here almost needs quotation marks because the English term implies that we earn something. But of course, the chief reward for believers is eternal life, and Christ has earned that for us. Do you understand? Saints, what good have any of us done apart from Christ? Our list is short because there's nothing on it. What do we have that we have not received entirely by the merits of Christ who lived and died and rose again for us to give us the rewards of heaven? What do we have apart from him? Our reward is to the praise of God's glorious grace because we endure persecution unto our eternal reward precisely because, let's, let's apply scripture here, because God works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To God be the glory for what he has done for our eternal joy. Third, and I want to end here, righteousness incites gladness. And what I mean by incites is that righteousness stimulates or it stirs up the most vigorous gladness. Jesus is talking here about inexpressible joy. You can't put words to it. When we suffer persecution for righteousness' sake on account of Christ, it actually makes us increasingly happy. Happier than all the people who abandoned Christ when it got hard. Now look where denying Christ three times got Peter. He went out and he wept bitterly. And look where dying for Christ got Peter. He rejoices eternally. Jesus said in verse 12, rejoice and be glad. And he said that right after he mentioned being reviled and persecuted and having all kinds of evil uttered against you falsely all on account of him. Rejoice and be glad? Really? How about we just rejoice and be glad when we're treated like royalty? How about that? That's easier. I like that. Now, we have to ask the question, is Jesus, in saying rejoice and be glad, is he some crazy person who is totally detached and unhitched from the reality of what pain feels like, of what it's like to really, man, just get drilled into the ground No, he knows suffering better than anyone, and he knows the truthfulness of Hebrews 12, verse 2, who for the joy 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of, God, of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, there is a legitimate, logical reason to rejoice and be glad amidst persecution, but you must understand the gospel to understand the gladness. The rejoicing and gladness upon persecution come from the blessing of solidarity with Christ and knowing that you're an heir of the kingdom of heaven with him. Jesus said, for your reward is great in heaven. It's huge. It's big. It's colossal. Your mind cannot comprehend it. In other words, it's worth it. It's worth it. It really is worth it to suffer for Christ. Jesus gave another reason for rejoicing and gladness, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets were godly men who suffered much for Christ and they endured, and guess what? They got their reward. They're in the presence of Christ. And then if we push that even further, who's the preeminent prophet? Christ himself is the preeminent prophet and he was crucified. Persecution confirms, dear brothers and sisters, that we, of all people, have a place at that table. We belong there. Our suffering is for a time, but there comes a day where it it won't be. And we'll sit at the table among those who have endured suffering well. These great and inestimable rewards are not for the people who abandon Christ when the going gets tough. The reward is only for those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, who are reviled and harassed and lied about because of Christ. And by his grace, they endure. They alone are free from anger, free from resentment, free from bitterness, free from revenge. And every, they, they have every good reason to celebrate. They fixate not on the pain of persecution or being deprived of earthly comforts. That is so hard. But that's not where they fixate. They fixate on Christ, who is their eternal reward. The kingdom of heaven awaiting them is motivation for their perseverance and gladness. Of course they weep, of course they groan, of course they mourn sin, and they endure because they have a better possession. Our brothers and sisters, the scripture talks about our brothers and sisters, our brothers and sisters in Hebrews 10, 34, accepted the plundering of their property because they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. They didn't resent God, they they didn't doubt his love for them and and his favor. They didn't walk away from God when things got really, really tough. They accepted persecution with confidence that the extraordinary gift of the kingdom of heaven was theirs in Christ. That kept them. 1 Peter 4.13 says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you want to deny Christ when things get hard? You deny him in this life to try to win the world, which you can't do anyway, only to scream in horror when he returns to sentence you to eternal hell. Is that attractive in any way, shape, or form? Or might you rejoice in your suffering now in solidarity with Christ, knowing that soon, dear saints, soon, You will be part of the celebration when he comes. 
No need to cower in fear when he comes, but just to celebrate his coming because he's coming to take you with him. You know, we're, we're weak, and sometimes we do deny Christ like Peter, don't we? Okay? But in the long run, his grace keeps us, okay? We don't ultimately abandon him. Do you understand the context of what I'm saying here? He keeps us by his grace. Dr. Richard Dawkins, you might know his name. Uh, he's the avowed atheist. He said about religious people, including Christians, quote, mock them, ridicule them in public. And he added, religion makes specific claims about the universe which need to be substantiated and need to be challenged and, if necessary, need to be ridiculed with contempt. And those words are not spoken by a radical Islamist but by a respected academic who served at Oxford University as their professor of public understanding of science. I think Jesus wants the beatitude to correct our thinking about persecution, but also about true happiness and the relation between the two. I think Jesus wants us to look at his life, death, and resurrection to know how true happiness works. I don't think we understand happiness at all outside of the cross and the resurrection and salvation in Christ. I don't think Jesus ended the Beatitudes with persecution to scare his disciples, but rather to prepare his disciples for both momentary pain and eternal pleasure. He, he was loving them. I think Jesus was being kind. I think he was being comforting because his tough words, they're tough words to hear. None of us like to hear that, that we're going to be persecuted but we better like what comes along with it. Or we should t- test our pulse if we're alive in Christ. I-, I think Jesus was being kind and comforting because his tough words were infused with guarantees of hope and happiness. Guarantees. People who don't understand the gospel will not understand the Beatitudes. The, the Beatitudes make little sense to people who espouse the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. How do you make sense of the Beatitudes with that kind of poisonous thinking? The kind, this, this kind of talk is often absent in the pulpits of many churches in America because it often offends American sensibilities and comfort and it scares people. Comfortable people content in their sin and apathy don't want to come to church to hear about suffering for Christ. So many churches try to rebrand following Jesus in a way that makes it sound popular and cool and socially acceptable and comfortable, and they don't tell people the whole story. Jesus told people the whole story. He told it like it is, and he gave them unbelievable promises of reward and gladness and blessing and everything that you and I could ever want. Jesus told the whole story, and Jesus didn't worry about people walking away. He stuck true to the gospel because he knew that he came to rescue God's elect. He didn't water anything down or make it more palatable for the natural man to hear, the fleshly man to hear, because he was confident in the power of the real gospel. So he preached the real gospel. Jesus said things like, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And I can guarantee you as a Barons fan, Coach Hahn did not give that speech 
before the game on Friday night to send those barons out on the field for their first district game. You're like sheep, men, amidst wolves. You're going to get bloody, and you know what? You're going to die out there. Go get them. I mean, it, that wasn't the speech. That's Jesus' speech. Jesus told his followers they would bleed and they would die on account of him, a sobering truth, but a truth, a truth with an unfathomable reward. Bleeding and dying for Jesus means you belong to him forever. That motivates people to get their heads cut off for Christ. Or, a little less shockingly, to be the brunt of the joke at work. Kids, look up here. Kids, all the kids. And if you're 14, listen, I'm not hating on you. You're a teenager. Okay, but just look, all right? Kids, look. Do you want to be happy? Truly happy. You're weird if you're like, nope, I want to be miserable the rest of my... You want to be happy. I think all of us want to be happy. Kids, please listen, okay? If you do, you need to listen to me. Following Jesus is hard. It's really, really hard. If you follow Jesus, kids, in the years to come in your life, you will suffer. You will be embarrassed because of Jesus. You will feel uncool, I promise you, and you will be left out, and people will mock you because you, you're with Jesus. They will marginalize you. They will relegate you to the side. They will mistreat you, kids, in some way, simply because you're trying to do the right thing for the glory of, of the God that you love. Kids, being a Christian is hard. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. If they're trying to show you how great it's going to be and your life is going to be better, doubt what they say. Test it against Scripture. They're probably not being a faithful, a loving teacher to you. And kids, here's what you need to ask yourself. Simple question, even for the youngest here, is following Jesus worth it? Kids, is following Jesus worth the pain? You've got to ask yourself that. And I'm telling you on the authority of God himself that if you follow Jesus by the Spirit's power, kids, by the grace of God, kids, for the glory of God, kids, you will be rewarded forever. You will never be disappointed. You will never think, well, why didn't I pursue the world? It won't happen. This life is short, kids. You're a blip on the screen. You will die soon. I hope after 80-some years, nine, whatever, but, but that's soon. And your moments of being cool and fitting in are short. Who cares? It doesn't mean anything in the scope of eternity. There is a better reward for you kids, a reward in heaven, but you must suffer for a time to obtain it. That's the Christian life. That's what you sign up for when you come to Christ. Otherwise, reject him and live your own life. Because I can tell you, kids, that if you abandon Christ, dear little ones, in order to fit in and to feel comfortable in the world, you will perish in your sinful mistake, and you will regret it forever and ever and ever. The road to happiness, precious little kids, the road to happiness 
is the road that Christ walked. So walk with him. Walk with him. Suffer for him because there is something so much better than the approval and the applause of the world. J.C. Ryle, he said this, and I'll end with this. This is for all of us. All of this is for all of us. The Lord Jesus calls those blessed who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He means those who are laughed at, mocked, despised, and ill-used because they endeavor to live as true Christians. Blessed are all such. They drink of the same cup which their master drank. They are now confessing him before men, and he will confess them before his father and the angels at the last day. Great is their reward.